Welcome to Jyotish Conversations, a series of programs presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the net. Each show presents an aspect of Jyotish or Hindu astrology in simple and straightforward terms, so the depth and brilliance of this knowledge can be appreciated by everyone. In this week's show, Penny Farrell presents some insights into the square-styled chart used in the south of India. Hope you enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Penny. How are you today? I'm just fine, Ben. How are you? Good. Looking forward to our discussion of South Indian-style charts. Yes, yes. I think we made good headway um, in the last talk on describing, you know, basically that any chart is uh, a map of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And then we went on to uh, discuss that a North Indian chart um, and a South Indian chart have their advantages. You know, they have their uh, ways of portraying things, and some people gravitate more towards one or the other, but it's best to be bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, some of the strengths of the North Indian chart, as we talked about yesterday, is that uh, the, the directions, the cardinal directions, are always the same. Uh, as we mentioned in the last talk, uh, the bhavas represent the actual uh, coordinates, the, the mapping locations of um, east, south, west, north, and the intermediary directions. And that those representations, those directions are fixed in that North Indian chart. Right. Which is why um, once one learns that chart, uh, it isn't necessary to point out, oh, this is the first bhava or first section or the east direction. Mm-hmm. Because once it's learned, that's automatic. That's the given of that particular chart form. But what changes is what constellation, what Rashi is on the eastern horizon and then once we know that, that's the number that goes into that North Indian chart right at that 12 o'clock position. Sure. That comes the ascendant or rising sign. Then all the rest of the signs or the constellations or the Rashis of the Zodiac are numbered in that counterclockwise direction corresponding to second house, third house, etc. So that's just a quick little uh, review. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, for the listeners out there that... Um, maybe sort of frantically trying to learn <laughs> Jyotish from these very brief and very uh, sweeping um, ways of stating things in these podcasts. I, mean, I just want to remind everyone that, that our reason for uh, putting these together and for doing these things is for familiarity. It's not for rigorous instruction. No. And familiarity has two functions, really. One is, hopefully, inspiration. Uh, Some people, upon hearing some of these things, something wakes up in them like it did for me. And then I became compelled to take proper instruction um, to learn in a systematic way from a teacher. Uh, So that's one function of that familiarity. The other, perhaps much more universal function, universal in terms of this audience, because I suspect many people do seek uh, astrological guidance mm-hmm. is when you go to an astrologer, it is more meaningful. I mean, certainly, you can have a perfectly good and helpful and uplifting experience knowing zero about anything, and that's pretty much how most people are. Right. Nothing wrong with that. 
But over you know my years of uh, of doing readings and teaching, uh, I find that when a person relates to their cosmic pattern, uh, then what I say seems to go deeper. And it doesn't only go deeper, but if a person can see even a little piece of the structure, you know, through my eyes and my explanation and their previous understanding, then the recommendations that I make, you know, for the remediation, when they kind of get familiar, when they get acquainted <laughs> with the patterns that are causing some um, drud karma, some prarabdha, that continuously shows itself in their life, but they've never really identified it as such. Sure. But they actually objectively see, hey, look at you know, look at this crowd of planets right there. <laughs> you know, you've got a really strong tenth house, like we saw with Einstein. Mm-hmm. You know, if we had said to young Einstein as he was flunking out of school, <laughs> <laughs> which he was, he had a lot of trouble with school. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the way you perceive the world, you know, the way you look at things is, you know, is different. And, you know, you may have, you know, some classic learning difficulties, but there's tremendous brilliance and discrimination in you. And, you you know, you should stay with it. And you have uh, a lot of fame possible. There's some big career here. And 10th Baba represents the sky, by the way. And, you know, so some observations of, you know, truths about relationships of what is uppermost, uh, another tenth bottom me, um, you know, there's a huge uh, destiny pattern here. So if you'd said that, or even to his parents, don't freak out, you know, <laughs> you have a really unusual kid here. He's yeah. unusual. But there's, you know, uh, but I can tell you, just look at this yourself. You see, this is the midheaven. This is where people get noticed. Look at your son. He's got all this activity here. And, of course, there's other things. You know, we have to add to that 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 chart shows a clear um, magnitude of fame because there's a lot of what we call yogas, which was something we'll explain a whole lot more about later, showing a level of life well above the base. So it isn't only that there's ten, that there's four grahas in his tenth bhava, but there's other combinations on top. But that's where it starts. If that little combination were not there, little that major combination were not there, tenanting his tenth house that we understand now because we know how to map, then all the combinations that they give rise to by being so closely connected, they're all in the same elevator. Mm, right. <laughs> they have to interact with each other. You get stuck in an elevator with three other people, you're going to get to know them pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and whatever stuff is there, you know, you'll either cooperatively work together and, you know, solve the problem or it'll be hell in that elevator. In any case, you know, this reality of four grahas together in a particular place, activating a particular place, it's going to make itself felt. And if I just say to somebody something like this, as opposed to their understanding through this mapping process, seeing their own pattern... It just has a lot more impact. So that's our other, you know, another reason why we're taking the time to go through what may seem technical, because it does give people much more um, of a ground when they go, when they seek astrological guidance, and you know, then they can do things like ask someone, "Well, could you give me a printout of my chart?" Because some people don't even do that; they just talk, and it's nice to be able to uh, relate to the actual pattern. So in that spirit, you know, that's why we're uh, taking these couple of podcasts to go through 
the two major uh, chart forms, North and South Indian, and how useful they both are, how they differ, but the kind of information um, that you can get. And it's a map like any other map. Once you understand the keys to the map, you can read it, at least the physical map. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. <laughs> what it means, this is another story. Okay. So the South Indian chart is, um, I might say, disarmingly simpler looking. I fondly refer to it as the Monopoly board. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Of course, it has less um, squares than a Monopoly board does. But, you know, I got to know the corners of the Monopoly board pretty well. Mm. And as such, I could maneuver my pieces around very well, right? right. So like that, uh, when you get to know the corners of the South Indian chart, um, you can orient yourself, you know, pretty quickly and, uh, and see the relationships. It is based, however, instead of um, showing you the actual um, geography of the sky, this is a chart that's based on the constellations. So this is more uh, star-based, right? The groups of stars. Um, rather than Earth-based, which is the Babas themselves. It's an interesting difference, huh? Oh, definitely. So what do I mean by that? Well, in the square, and I'm, um, all of you now uh, will have the opportunity to see Einstein's chart mapped in both forms. On the South Indian um, square, um, the constellations have a home, every one of them. They are in the same place in every South Indian chart. Now, that kind of rings a, a, a bell with respect to the North Indian chart, except it's the Bhavas that have a home, a home base from which they never vary in the North Indian. So the North Indian is Bhava-based, Bhumi-based, and the South Indian is Rashi-based, constellation-based. And there is... Um, a system that the rishis have uh, cognized of assigning uh, rulerships to each of the 12 constellations. And although I you know, wasn't really intending to go through this concept, it helps to orient you to a South Indian chart. And teaching tales are always a good thing. <laughs> uh, and so I was told a particular little story, and I'll probably vary it some, in order to understand uh, how the South Indian chart goes together and how it gets mapped and, uh, and the Rashis and the Grahas and how they all uh, interconnect. So if we could think of the South Indian chart as the palace, the whole thing is the palace, uh, the king and the queen would have the choice of rooms, right, in this palace. So the king decides that he's going to take the room that's on the right side of the palace and he wants to be protected you know he doesn't want to be on the corners so he takes the right side uh, the, the second room up from the right side so that's going to be the king's room in the palace and since we know the king is the royal sign of Leo this is where the constellation or the Rashi of Leo is always indicated in a South Indian chart. 
the sun is the ruler of Leo. So this particular location in a South Indian chart will also always have the sun or the king as the landlord. Occasionally the king might, especially if he's an impoverished king, kind of like Link, renting out the Lincoln bedroom, selling the night in the Lincoln bedroom at the White House in hard times. Right. <laughs> the king might rent out his room in the palace to some other graha and be the landlord. But it was always the king's room in the South Indian chart. Right. It's very natural for the king to want the queen right next door. So right above, so to speak, or the third up from the bottom, or kind of sandwiched in between the two corners, that's the queen's room. And therefore, it's the constellation of Cancer. So now that we have the room that the queen owns and the room that the king owns, we can kind of orient to that. Cancer and Leo are the two constellations that are on that left side, but not in the margin. Cancer on top, I'm, I mean, sorry, not in the corners. Cancer is on uh, the second one, and Leo is the third one down. We're going from top to bottom. Okay, once we know that, this little story, you know, starts to help us even more. Uh, we should also mention uh, that each Rashi is known by the it, a number, the order of the um, Rashis of the constellations in the Zodiac, gives us a fixed number by which we also identify the Rashi. So Leo is the fifth Rashi and Cancer is the fourth Rashi. On the, on the corners, we could say that if we have the king and the queen, the next important person in the royal family is the heir, which is the prince. So the prince is represented in the planetary cabinet by Mercury. And Mercury is kind of an expedient little fellow and tricky and clever and shrewd. <laughs> so Mercury goes to his father and says, you know, I would just love to have a room next to you. And the king says, of course you should have a room next to me. And so right next to Leo, the next sign in the zodiac is Virgo, owned by Mercury. So Mercury winds up with a nice corner room. Lots of light and windows. <laughs> However, as I mentioned, tricky little guy, that Mercury, goes to the queen, says the same thing. I want a room next to you, mom. And the queen says, yes, of course my child should have the room next to me. So Mercury gets a very lovely other corner room. And the other sign of Mercury is Gemini. So the top right corner in a South Indian chart is the third side of the zodiac, Gemini. The next constellation down is the queen's room. Prince is next to the queen, and that queen is the moon, owned, and the moon owns the sign of Cancer. So Gemini is always that top corner. Cancer is always the next one down. Then comes the king's room, Leo, and then the prince's other room, <laughs> Virgo. So that's a kind of convenient way of remembering that side. Okay, now Mercury is a very charming, talkative, uh, convivial little prince, and he likes to hang with his friend, Venus. Now, Venus is a little more than a friend. Venus is also a minister. 
you know, someone who counsels and teaches. But Mercury quite likes Venus uh, among the counselors and teachers because Venus teaches about worldly things, which are a lot more fun than the other preceptor who's, you know, much more universal and dharmic and, you know, how to behave. And Mercury sometimes <laughs> would rather know about the worldly things. Well, particularly so, if you're a prince, you can have any worldly thing you want. Ah, that's right. <laughs> and he's playful and he likes music and Venus likes all those things. And so uh, Mercury asks the king, you know, could my pal and teacher Venus have the room next to me? The king says, sure, why not? So next to the Virgo room, uh, along the bottom of the South Indian chart now, in the order of the signs of the zodiac, after six comes seven. So seven is the uh, resting place, the marker in a South Indian chart, um, that space for the sign of Libra, owned by Venus. And then, in a parallel way, he goes to the queen and asks the same thing. So Venus gets to have the other room next to Mercury on that top margin. And since uh, Gemini is the third sign of the zodiac, the uh, Taurus, the second sign of the zodiac, comes right before. So the two Venus-owned signs, Taurus and Libra, are right next to the two Mercury-owned signs, Gemini and Virgo. And sandwiched in between are Mom and Dad, Cancer and Leo, okay, owned by the Moon and Sun. Is this clear? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Venus... Um, also has uh, a friend, <laughs> um, but it's more uh, of a function, more than the function of friend. It's uh, important that all of these important uh, people, the prince, the advisor, the sun and the moon, king and the queen, have protection. So the request from Venus's side, uh, and the king and queen are quite willing to grant this, is that the, that the army, the commander-in-chief, the security guard, uh, be stationed in these adjacent rooms, uh, right next door to Venus, in both uh, places, that both the rooms that Venus has been assigned. So on the lower end, after seven comes eight. Eight stands for the sign of Scorpio, and Scorpio is a Mars own sign. So in a South Indian chart, that bottom row, um, second from the left, is the sign of Scorpio, the Rashi of Scorpio. And in a parallel way, right next to Taurus, we have Mars, other sign of Aries. Okay, we're almost done. Now we only have the um, left margin of the South Indian chart. And Mars, being a somewhat impetuous, um, sometimes rash, but noble, um, kind of planet needs guidance uh, and has a very good friend in the wise minister, the the uh, guru, the preceptor of the devatas, and all the grahas are devatas. Really, they represent devatas. And so, in the other corners uh, are the rooms that are assigned to Jupiter. And Jupiter's two signs are Sagittarius and Pisces. So in the upper left corner, 
we have this, the uh, Rashi of Pisces. And in the lower left corner, right next to Scorpio, in that order, we have Sagittarius, the ninth sign of the zodiac. That leaves two more rooms. And those two rooms are far away from the royal rooms, kind of as far away as you can go opposite them. And those are the servant headquarters. And the servant is represented by Saturn. And so uh, next to Sagittarius, up from the bottom left, is Saturn's sign of Capricorn. And then the next one up is Saturn's sign of Aquarius. So if you kind of remember the story about the society of the palace, the king and queen on one side, the servant on the other side, um, Jupiter uh, on the two corners on the left side, Mercury on the two corners on the right side, and then Venus and Mars uh, sandwiched in between, it at least gives you a way of, until it becomes entirely internalized, of um, remembering how to place the order of the Rashis on a South Indian chart. Now, this order never varies. This is where the Rashis are. So forever and ever, if you put your finger on the lower right-hand corner, that is the sign of Virgo. If you put your finger on the upper left-hand corner, that is the constellation of Pisces. Never varies. So, how do you map it? Well, even without reference to an ascendant, and this is one of the advantages of the South Indian chart, when you're not exactly sure of the birth time, even without reference to any rising sign, and of course we know that to really understand a chart, you you want to have some point of reference of a rising sign. But, as I say, independently, if you knew that in um, Einstein's chart, that there were four grahas transiting through Pisces, you would know exactly where to map them on this chart. You would just pop all four of those right in that upper left-hand corner. And if you look at the uh, example of the South Indian chart uh, for Einstein, that's exactly what you see if the world is a orderly place, right? Right, right. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, and then likewise, you could pop each graha uh, into its room in the palace without knowing which bhava that winds up being. It, it, can, it can be an independent process. <laughs> kind of, it's a, a different sort of thought to wrap your head around, but that's the, it, exactly the case. So... How do you wind up knowing, since we put so much emphasis on the ascendant being the beginning of the trajectory and it's the body and the personality and, you know, the the ahankara, the utilization principle, all this stuff I talked about last time. How do we know what the ascendant is? Well, the way that works in a South Indian chart is one of those Rashis, the ascendant, is marked in a particular way. Often it's marked with a diagonal line through it. I see that a lot. Do you? Diagonal line? Just a simple diagonal line going through that right. box. Right? right. Yep. Sometimes I see a diagonal line just going through a corner of the box, just kind of rather than the whole box, just you know, up higher, um, a corner. So the box, if it has planets and degrees, 
isn't totally obstructed by that line. Sometimes it'll just have, once again, the, the letters in program, in programs, not in handwritten charts, but in programs, AS, standing for ascendant. But more often, you know, traditionally, it'll be a line, uh, a diagonal line somewhere in that box. And that's the indication that this is the first bhava. And the first bhava is going to um, fall in one of the rooms of the palace. And in Einstein's case, the first bhava falls in um, Gemini. So you would see in that upper right-hand corner some kind of line going through. And maybe you would see AS for Ascendant, or maybe you would see degrees to show you how many degrees of Gemini. That's something we haven't really discussed yet. Uh, were over the horizon at the time of the birth. And that would be the signal that this is the first bhava. So where is the second bhava? Well, unlike the North Indian chart, the second bhava is going to be um, in the clockwise direction because that's where sign four would be. North Indian chart, if you had a Gemini rising, um, sign four is the next sign that would be rising, the fourth sign that would be rising. So it would be below the horizon, and that would be to the left. So that's the the, the kind of um, uh, orientation you have to have so you don't get confused, right? One is Bhava-based, based on how the sun moves, and this one is Rashi-based, based more on proper motion, right? Going from sign to sign in a clockwise direction, okay? So for... Um, uh, counting purposes, we would count Gemini as the first house, and then Cancer would be the second house, and that would be that space in the palace where the queen lives, right? So now we find ourselves going clockwise. And then the third Baba would be the king's room, Leo. And the fourth Baba would be uh, the prince's other room, alternate room, Virgo. Right. And so on around. And so if we compare now, you know, maybe this would be confusing, but uh, hopefully it will be enlightening to really understand that these charts, these representations are giving exactly the same information. It's just they're displayed differently. It's like um, a bar graph uh, and a line graph. Not exactly like, but, you know some analogy. It's the same information is shown in the graph, but the display is different. So you need to understand what the parameters are of the display in order to be able to read the graph successfully. So like that, these two charts are displaying exactly the same thing. You know, what Graha is in what constellation in what Bhava, what constellation is rising. And therefore, setting up uh, a pattern of which constellation uh, or which graha rules which bhava, and that gives us also an insight into the thematic material uh, of the parabda of that individual. So let's kind of compare that North Indian and South Indian representation of Einstein's to once again not be confused about the information. So 
The North Indian chart shows a little number three at 12 o'clock. Our understanding is a North Indian chart is bhava-based, and that 12 o'clock is the ascendant. That's the first bhava. And in that North Indian chart, that little number three is representing the third constellation, because the constellations aren't fixed in the North Indian chart. The bhavas are. So we would now understand from that chart that it's this person has Gemini rising. Now let's go to the South Indian chart. This is a Rashi-based representation. The Babas are not fixed, the Rashis are. So Gemini rising, we already know that's the case. We know in a South Indian chart that Gemini is the upper right corner. And therefore on that chart, there's a line through, or I'm hoping your program will have that. <laughs> Then when you represent this on the site. Oh yeah, it does. I think it's a I think it's a line. It's okay. pretty noticeable. It's noticeable. So even though the number three, you see, in a in a South Indian chart, I should back up and just say this. Um there aren't any numbers. You don't need any numbers in a South Indian chart. In a North Indian chart you need the numbers because you need to know which constellation is on each one of the Bhavas. In a South Indian chart, if you didn't care about the degrees of the planets, you don't need any numbers at all. Now, why is that? Because if you know that that little cross or uh, diagonal is the rising sign, you know that's the first house, because the rising sign always is, and you know it's Gemini, because that's where Gemini always is. No numbers are necessary, right? Kind of miraculous. <laughs> and then it, it, when we know that Einstein has all those planets in in uh, in Pisces, so let's count. If we count from Gemini to Pisces, going around the South Indian chart, Gemini is one, Cancer's two, Leo's three, Virgo's four, Libra's five, Scorpio is six, Sag is seven, Capricorn is eight. Aquarius is 9, bingo, 10, Pisces. So look at the North Indian chart. In the 10th Baba, right at the Midheaven, we have a little number 12 and four planets in Pisces. It's the same information. But notice in the South Indian chart, I did have to count around. Um, but in the North Indian chart, I also had to kind of know you know, where the numbers of the Babas went. You know, so both of them require some familiarization. Just like if you keep following a map to get from your house to somewhere you want to go, you know, the first two, three days you might still need to, you know, trace that out and orient to the map, but after a while it's automatic. That's what happens with this as well. But notice that in the South Indian chart, I neither had to indicate number 12 for Pisces, or that this was the 12th house. I didn't have to do either. Soon as I know Gemini is the first house, I can count over to the fact that Pisces is the 10th house, and I already know it's Pisces. I don't have to put the number in. So the South Indian chart then uh, doesn't really need anything except that little cross mark to indicate the starting point. It's another kind of difference between them. However... To figure out where south is and east is and west is, that constantly changes. Because if it's a different rising sign, then that becomes east. 
uh, as opposed to uh, another rising sun. Whereas in the once again in the North Indian chart, if you're looking for planetary patterns, the patterning shows up in a much more visually impactful way, I think. Well, I, I'm curious because, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm very much a user of the South Indian um, style. And one of the things that happens is that when a person is uncertain of their birth time, yeah, that's what I was going to get to next. Yeah, oh, <laughs> okay. Then one would read the chart from the moon um, because the moon is much less sensitive. Oh, actually, that's not what I was going to say next. But go ahead. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> and so th- with the South Indian chart, that's very easy. You just recount from the moon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you you look for the, you know, the M O for moon or C H for Chandra. Um, opposite that position is the seventh house, and right. you know, so on and so forth. Call that one. Yeah, and and so I'm wondering, you know, how do how do you do that with a North Indian chart? Okay, so so let me answer that question, then also add what I was going to say about that. So in in either chart, you can accomplish that. Um, so let's look at let's let's take that right in Einstein's chart, okay? Uh, one of the, again, I think one of the things I like about the North Indian chart is this, this relationship of 1, 7, uh, 4, and 10 is very clearly laid out. The big uh, diamond. The big diamond. But actually, you could, you could see that relationship from any perspective. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at the moon. Hmm, Einstein has a Scorpio moon. It's in a sixth house. So Scorpio, again, to remind everybody, is little number eight in a North Indian chart. And that corresponds to, if we count from Gemini, Gemini 1, Cancer 2, Leo 3, Virgo 4, Libra 5, Scorpio 6. So that space where Scorpio and the moon is in a North Indian chart is 6 from the Lugna counted inclusively. Okay. So if we're saying we don't know that, that we're not sure of the Lugna, let's say um, Einstein was born at you know 29 degrees you know, 45 of Gemini, and we think oh, maybe it's a maybe it's a um, Cancer Lagna instead. But in any case, let's just say that. So, if you wanted to, you could do one of two things: you could redraw the chart from the Moon, just put Scorpio as the Lagna and draw it out. And if you're not um, very familiar with Jyotish uh, or very familiar with the North Indian chart initially, that's probably what I would recommend. And hence the the value of the South Indian chart. We don't have to do that. But if you are at all familiar or comfortable, then you could just say if that's the first house, if the sixth house is the first house, counting from the moon now, then the one diagonally opposite is the seventh. And then the corners from there are the, the ninth and the second. So you could still count the six as one and successfully maneuver around the chart that way. Does that help? Oh, yes, definitely. And I, I think um, one of the fundamental skills that, uh, that people have to develop when they start to learn Jyotish is visualization. And, um, you know, certainly this helps. But I think what happens is that, you know, the chart, you're really visualizing it in your mind. Absolutely. Um, and, and eventually, you and I have talked about this uh, before, either on or off podcast, eventually what happens is an automatic connecting web 
of information that becomes subconscious almost. It just kind of, well, super conscious, I could say. Yeah, super it's just there. It's there. <laughs> and so the suddenly you start to see the pattern above the noise. And, uh, and that pattern shifts depending on what your question is. But that, of course, becomes thinking in another language like we talked about um, last time. Right. That's where the joy comes. But the other thing that um, the South Indian chart is strong for, you know, you mentioned if you don't quite know the birth time, you can read it from the moon and call that one, and then it's easier to navigate around. But the other thing is that you can move the lagna. So let's say you want to see what the chart looks like from, from uh, Virgo, if, if that's the first bala. But maybe it's very close to uh, a Libra rising, so you put that little cross uh, diagonal line, you just move it over to Libra, and then you count from there. You don't have to redraw the chart, whereas with a North Indian chart, if you wanted to look at it from Libra, you could in your own mind rotate, uh, but it, it's cleaner and easier to redraw it as a Libra Lugna and look at all the relationships. Right. See what I'm saying? So you don't have to do that with a South Indian chart. If you're working with a rectification you know, nightmare, all you have to do is have a different um, room in the palace be where the crosshatch indicating the ascendant is. And you don't have to redraw anything because all the grahas are always going to stay in whatever rashis they are. But what bhava that that relates to in the South Indian chart will change depending on the rising sun. Right, exactly. exactly. Okay, I think that's. I think we've stuffed their heads enough for today. What do you think? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I think one of the reasons why um, it's great to do these podcasts is I think then people uh, get a, a, an appreciation, or I certainly get an appreciation of the elegance of, of Jyotish, even just down to the way that the information is presented. Not that there's only one way to do it, but the brilliance of it is that, you know, there's, there is more than one way to represent the same knowledge. Each one has its advantage, and each one is complete in and of itself. And this is only, absolutely, there are more than these two. I mean, they're beautiful charts, very artistic charts. You know, with uh, I, I saw a chart with, you know, uh, snakes, forming the 12 bhavas and lotuses. But what you'll always notice is there will be 12 bhavas. And those 12 bhavas will always be configured with the 12 constellations because the the constellations um, are indicating the star groups that wind up in particular directions. Uh, in the cosmos at the time of a person's birth. That's what we can never lose sight of. And we have to understand, no matter what chart form it is, we always have to relate that back. And in the South Indian chart, you have to do this, and it's harder in the South Indian chart to do this. Mm -hmm. You have to sort of picture wherever the rising sign is as 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 the east in this cosmic map, and then how does the pattern look? North Indian chart, much more straightforward. The pattern, look, it's right there. You can see the pattern. But in any representation, the circular chart, it's the same deal. You know, that um, it's representing the, the four directions and the grahas form a pattern. Every single um, Jyotish chart representation, that those three pieces of information are always there that we started off with when we started off with these mapping 
uh, podcast that you have the canopy of the fixed constellations, mm-hmm. uh, the fixed stars, I should say, and then um, where the grahas are moving through those constellations at a particular time, and then how that creates uh, a relationship to the bhavas, you know, how the bhavas capture in a particular corner of the sky the thematic material that's indicated by those placements. It's beautiful thinking of it that way. It's so much richer than the impoverished way of looking at some symbol on a piece of paper and (laughs) being completely divorced from the kind of majesty and mystery of what a chart actually represents. Right. 